we started talking about the identity crisis. And I want to do just a small recap, partly because those uh, that weren't here, I know that you didn't get all of it. And I don't mean that in a demeaning or derogatory way. I know that we don't get everything the first time. Okay. And um, so I want to make sure that we really lay a good foundation. Those of you that weren't here, you'll get an uh, essence, if you will, of uh, where we're going. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Everyone say image. Everyone say likeness. So we saw that image literally means shade. It means a representation of, and we even use the example of this shadow being cast on the wall behind me. And wouldn't it be so strange if the shadow began to move independent of me? Because we know that that is my shadow. This right here. See, I I can't even get out of the way of it because it follows me. But that shadow back behind me, it'd be weird if that arm just all of a sudden went down by its side and my arm still being held up. Why? The shadow, the shade only does what the thing that it's representing does. So if God has put us in the earth as a shadow or the mere image of him, that means that we ought to look like him, move like him, operate like him act like him, think like him, talk like him. I'm, that's not being arrogant. That's not, oh, you think you're God. No, I am not God, but I am the image of God, according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And then we also see the word here, likeness. And the word likeness means function or operation. The word likeness means this is how we're to operate. So if we see God in heaven operating this way, then we in the earth, should operate. You could say it this way that the of is an extension of heaven and man is an extension of God. Say that again. The earth is a, was created as an extension of heaven and man was created as an extension of God. You could even put it this way that the earth is the natural representation of the invisible spirit Heaven, spiritual realm, heaven, heaven. And man is the natural, visible representation of the spiritual, invisible God. We've got to make this connection now. We're not down here standalone. We're not down here just doing whatever we want. We're not down here uh, just, uh, you you know, waiting for God to, to do something. We are here to operate and act on his behalf. On his behalf. That's why we're here. Is to do the will of God. That's why Jesus, when he taught his disciples how to pray, he said, Our Father, who art in where? Heaven. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. He never meant for it to stay there. Why would Jesus ask for a kingdom to come that was designed to stay in heaven? Well, sorry about you guys. I got it all good up here, but you guys are just going to have to struggle and deal with it until you get up to the glorious realm of heaven. And so we've got so many Christians desiring to get out of this place and go to heaven when Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I put you there to bring heaven to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, what do you want? Okay, we're going to make that happen down here. Father, what's your will up there? And this is, that was the essence of Jesus' ministry. His ministry was thy kingdom come. 
That's why sick people didn't stay sick very long. Why? Because in heaven there is no sickness. There is no disease. That's why people that were were struggling and, and, and caught in sin could receive the mercy and the grace of the king and, and be delivered out of that. That, that. That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was walking around being the visible representation of an invisible God. What did he say? I don't do anything on my own initiative. I don't do what I want to do. I don't say what I want to say. I don't even go where I want to go. If you've seen me, you've seen the the Father. Why? I'm a shade. I'm the image. And everything you see me doing, he, he, he said, you've seen me work, but my father's been working up until now. I, I'm just doing what he would do. And I don't do what he wouldn't do. And so, you know, in, in, in every facet of our lives, we need to be asking ourselves, am I operating in the image and am I operating in the likeness of my God? Of my God. And then he goes on from there, let them have Dominion over the fish, the sea, birds of the air, you know, over all the earth. So recognize that assignment followed identity. Assignment followed identity. What you do is a result of who you are. What you do is a result of who you are. So then I can safely make this assumption if I don't know who I am then I don't know what to do. If I don't know who I am, then I don't know what to do. There are companies across this world right now, major companies, that will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in what is called branding, identity, building an identity. Why? Because the identity defines what they do. But here's what the world wants to tell us. The world wants to tell us that what you do defines who you are. And we get that backwards. But that's not God's order. God's order is, I'm going to tell you who you are first. And from that, you'll realize what you're supposed to do. But the world wants to flip that around because this is where the identity crisis shows up. If I'm not good enough, if I didn't have the right background, if I didn't have the right family, if I didn't grow up on the right side of the tracks, if I don't have enough money, if I don't have the promotion, if I don't marry that person, if I don't have those kind of kids, if I don't live in that kind of house, drive that kind of car, wear those kind of clothes, that is their identity. And they take that on and that becomes their identity in life. And this is an identity crisis. And so we, we see here that identity precedes assignment. Knowing who you are comes before knowing what to do. We see this. And then we move on down into verse 27. So God created man in his own image. And look at these words. In the image of God, he created him. So it wasn't just something that God thought about. It's something that he actually did. Amen. He created them, male and female, it says. Male and female, he created them. How? In his own image. In his own image. Well, now we jump over to Genesis chapter 3. Again, just laying some foundation for where we're going, and we'll try to get a little deeper tonight. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Hath God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden. 
But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and look at these next words, and you will be like God. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you will be like God. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 tells me that they already were like God. They were created in the image of God. In essence, the serpent is tempting them with something they already have. And isn't this what the devil is still doing today? See, the devil did not tempt Eve with fruit. He tempted her with identity. You will be like God. There was fruit of the fruit, if you will. If you eat this fruit, you will become like God. Well, only a confused person would take the fruit and desire a result that they already have. And this is how the devil is still beating people today. With identity. In that moment, he talked Eve out of her own identity. Because why would she need to take a bite of something to become something she already was? But this is exactly what the devil is still doing today. It's called religion. It's called trying to take on works to become something that God already created you to be. And so when you are born again, when you become the image of Christ, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? I'm righteous, but because of Jesus, not on my own terms. But think about it. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, what did Adam and Eve, or what did the male and females at that time, you know, because there's, there's debate, well, did God create a bunch of male and females, and we're just targeting Adam and Eve in, in Genesis 2 and Genesis chapter 3. I'm not going to get into all that. The essence is male and female was created, and the design was that they would be the image of God, what did they have to do to become the image of God? Not a thing. They had to merely exist. God didn't say, well, if you do this, you'll be, you'll be my image. If you get it all right, if you don't mess up, but if you blow it, you're not my image anymore. He didn't say that. All they had to do was exist. And God said, that's my image. Because I created you that way. And so now when we get saved... When we get born again, you don't do a thing to become the image of God in Christ Jesus, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But you know what the devil is still doing to believers all across this planet? You've got to work for it. You've got to take a bite. If you take a bite, then you'll be like the image of God. Why in the world, why in the world would the devil want male and female, Adam and Eve, to be more like God? Like we covered this at the beginning of the year with our Equip series. He's tempting them with more knowledge about God. I thought the devil didn't want me to know anything about God. No, no, no. God is, uh, the devil is okay with you knowing about God. Obviously. This is the enemy of God. He was kicked out of heaven. This is not, you know, just, just, just some guy trying to, you know, you know, Five easy steps to become a millionaire. I mean, he, he's, he is the enemy of God. He does not care about Adam and Eve. He has no interest in them whatsoever. His, his goal is 
you look like what I just tried to overtake. I was just up in heaven. I tried to dethrone that guy. I tried to get that guy to submit to my will and, and did not remain submitted to his will. Now I get, you know, launched down here. Jesus said, you know, uh, like lightning was cast to the earth. And he's wandering around and now he sees Adam and Eve and he's like, you look just like God. So if you submit to me, that's just like God submitting to me. This is his thought process. But look at the avenue that he takes to try to tempt Adam and Eve, not to walk away from God, ultimately to get closer, to become more like him and to even gain more knowledge of him. But we learned in our equip series that the enemy is okay with you knowing about God as long as you don't know God. And information and knowledge, in essence, becomes our enemy rather than our help. Because now, because I think I know something, I think I'm closer when I'm really not. And that's what happened. But now we see another side. Don't you just love how you can read the same scripture and get like 50 million different angles out of it? I mean, it's the same passage. I mean, Chase, uh, 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 earlier this school year uh, with our young adults, our kickoff night, ministered out of these same passages and ministered a whole different thing. I mean, this is, this is powerful stuff. You've got to love the Word of God. This is what the Word will do. It's literally, every time you open it, it'll show you a new side. It'll show you something new. And it doesn't have to happen because you you listen to some minister show it to you. God wants to show this to you. God wants to teach you. God wants to show you. You don't have to go online, Google it, YouTube it, to find out, well, I need something new about the Scripture. That's called itching ears. That's called itching ear ministry. And then we get up and we want to we, we roam around to all these different ministries. Like, Who's teaching the, the newest, hippest thing? And, and, and these uh, uh, apostles said that there are false doctrines and false teachers isn't it amazing in the last days it doesn't say that we're going to be lacking for teachers it doesn't say in the last days it will be hard to find anybody preaching the gospel anymore no it says there will be plenty of people preaching the gospel but do not accept a different gospel is what paul said no we've got to stay firmly planted in the word of god and this is what he'll do he will reveal new things to us He'll reveal things to you. And it's not even, it's not new. It's not new to him. He's always known. It's always been there. It's just new to us because it's being unveiled. And so he says here that you will be like God. And the devil is still doing that to people today. Still doing that to believers today. Take another bite. If you go to church enough, if you pray enough, if you have enough Christian friends, if you do enough Christian things, if you serve your church right. And, and, and God is saying, no, 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 no. Because was there still work to do in the garden? Was there still work to do? Absolutely, there was. They weren't just laying around in the grass eating fruit. There was work to do. But they were able to work because of who they were. Because I'm righteous, this is what I can do. Because I'm the image of God, now I can rule and reign and dominate on this earth. And it takes work. He said, be fruitful and multiply. That takes work. You, you don't just accidentally make these things happen. He said, guard and protect the garden. That takes work. 
Make sure that it is fruitful. Make sure that, that the, the, the crops are yielding after themselves. And make sure the animals are yielding after themselves. That takes work. It's called agriculture. It's called farming. That's all the way back in the beginning. There was work to do. But they weren't working to become the image of God. They were working because they were the image of God. I'll say that again. They weren't working to become the image of God. They were working because they were the image of God. And now today, we don't work to become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We work because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because I'm the righteousness of God of, uh, of God in Christ Jesus, now I can apply that word to my life and see its benefits yield in my life. Because that's my identity. That's my identity. And I'm not identified, I'm not trying to gain an identity that I already have. I am, so I do. The world tells us you do, so you are. And God says, no, 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 you are, so you do. Amen. So we see these lies, we see these tricks, and we see people, guys, I, I truly believe that this identity crisis is the root of all issues that we see in life today. Any promise that we don't fully see in our lives is there's an identity issue at the root somewhere. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. The guy that's living under the bridge down here has an identity crisis. And the guy living in the penthouse has an identity crisis. Everyone deals with an identity crisis. And you don't find your identity in your money. You don't find your identity in your friendships and your social keeping. You don't find your identity in your church. You don't find your identity in what you do. You don't find your identity in your promotions and, and how much money you make and the, and the businesses you run and operate. You don't find your identity. The, I can tell you right now, the, the cashier at Chick-fil-A can have a greater sense of identity than the owner of the company. It's not found in those things. It's only found in God. It's only found in God. I want to look at I want to look at labels tonight. Because as we go on here in Genesis chapter 3, we know in verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked. That word naked is not just talking about the lack of clothing that was on their bodies. That word naked actually alludes to the shame and the guilt and condemnation that came upon their life. They immediately transferred from being the image of God to a contrary image. And they bought into that lie. They bought into the lie that I'm ashamed and that I'm guilty and that I'm condemned. And it says that they saw that they were naked. And look at the next phrase. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And people in the world are still doing this. We use external things to cover up our shame 
and our guilt and our condemnation. We're still going to the world. And God, you'll find later on, he actually kills a, uh, 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 an animal, a sacrifice. An animal that had no part to play in this, was guiltless, was shameless. He killed that animal and made a covering for them that only he could supply. And blood was shed. But we, we turn to the world and we turn to external things to cover up who we've become, to become that new identity. And God is saying, I'm the only one that can restore your identity. I'm the only one that can give you back who you were. I'm the only one that can place you back in the position and place you back. And when you get back in position, see, here's the thing. When you lose your identity, your assignment becomes compromised. When you lose your identity, your assignment becomes compromised. And this is why we end up living for ourselves rather than for the world around us. Because when you lose your identity, you do everything in life to get your identity back. And you respond to your spouse the way that they do because you feel that they are uh, uh, impacting your identity as a man. How dare you talk to me? How dare you do? How dare you say that? And, and, and we, we, we feel that our identity gets attacked. We feel that if we don't get the promotion, it, it's not because necessarily someone else was better than us or they, they just didn't see that we were fit. It becomes an identity issue. Well, well, what are they saying? They're saying I'm not good enough? They're saying it becomes internal. It becomes about us. And God is saying that until you really become secure in who you are, you'll never change the world around you. You'll never impact anything around you because all of your motivation and all of your intention becomes internal and inward focused in how you can make yourself better. But the people that impact the world around them are less focused on themselves and more focused on the world around them. This is why Jesus said, you must deny yourself. If you're going to make a difference in the world, you've got to deny you. <laughs> your own identity and your, your, your chase to become something. And, and so God, through the Bible, makes a, this awesome habit. I love patterns. And God's pattern in the Word of God is to find the ones that were least likely to accomplish something and say, tag, you're in. That's why he would find a man that was barren, that was 80, 75 years old, could not have kids and say, you're going to be the father of many nations. Because I know the world says you don't have the right identity, but your identity is in me, not in them. You can do anything I tell you to do, not because you carry all the qualities and the characteristics and, and, and you have it all together, but because I've placed myself in you and you are my image. And so anything I assign to you comes from who you are. He said you are a father of many nations. What's that? Identity. Regardless of what the external says. Guys, this is why we've got to get a hold of identity. You will never exceed your level of identity. Your life will never exceed the level of identity you recognize and understand. Your life will never go beyond that. 
And so it starts with these ladies. And I just want to ask this question. I want to ask this question. Are the labels that we put on ourselves, are the labels that we put on ourselves limiting us or liberating us? Are the labels that we put on ourselves limiting us or liberating us? See, here's the thing is we create labels for things that we don't understand. You know the word weird? That word weird is relative to everybody in this room. Right? Everybody in this room has a different concept of what's weird. And it's usually built upon something that you haven't experienced before. Like we could be preaching, having a good old Holy Ghost meeting right now. Somebody could get up and run around the room. I know, I almost pretty much know who would be what's going on? This is weird. And I know those who would get up and start running around with them. I, I, could, I could find you. I know you. I know you. And Chris is leading the way. He ain't following anybody. He's the first one up. <laughs> right? There, there's music that we think is weird. Some One person thinks it's weird and the other one says it's not weird. It's normal. Weird and normal is relative. But they're labels that we put on things that sometimes we don't understand. And I believe that God designed labels to liberate us and to free us. When he said, you're a father of many nations, that wasn't to limit him. That was to liberate him. When, 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 when the prophet came to David as a shepherd boy and said, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Weird. Yes. Contrary to external uh, uh, abilities and characteristics and qualifications. Yes. But yet that was a label that God gave to liberate him, not to limit him. And so we look at this and in, 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 in we know in Genesis chapter 3 that as a result there was shame and there was guilt. We know further on that the Lord God comes down <clears throat> And says, where are you? And they say, well, we hid ourselves because we were afraid. Another label. I'm afraid. Shame. Guilt. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I want to help us destroy some labels. Because you use a label to identify something, right? You use a label so you know what it is the next time you go back to it. We use these labels. But I find something interesting about God, that he doesn't use a label to call it what it is. God uses labels to call it what it will be. Imagine if we started using labels that way. So instead of responding to your husband and saying, man, you're just lazy, you just never do anything. What if you responded and used a label that was calling out what it could produce, what you wanted it to produce? What if you only use labels over your kids that was calling them what they would be, could be, had the potential to be, rather than just identifying what they already are? The world can't do that. The world can only call you based upon what you were or what you are. They do not have the capacity to tell you what you can be. But God uses labels to pull out what you're going to be. 
what you can do, what you will be. God uses labels to liberate us. The world uses labels to limit us. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now look, it doesn't stop there. There's no period. There's a qualifier. There's a qualification process to living without condemnation. What's the qualification? To those who are in Christ Jesus. Watch this. That's your identity. That's your identity. In Christ Jesus. Look at the rest of the passage. Who do not walk. Now that word walk is really the translated word live. Who do not live according. So recognize. Recognize the same pattern we saw in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3. What I do follows who I am. Same pattern. Same pattern. You know when you see something more than once, there's something to it, right? That wasn't an accident in Genesis chapter 1 where God gave him identity and then gave an assignment. And then from there on, he changed his mind and said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give man an assignment and then that will determine who they really are. No, from there on, he would call out people based on who they were and it determined what they would do. So now here we are in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So the very thing that Adam and Eve put on themselves is the very thing that uh, uh, Paul was writing to the Romans and said, you don't have that anymore. You're in Christ Jesus. You're not covering yourself with, with fig leaves anymore. We have taken on the sacrifice of the innocent blood of Jesus Christ, and he's put that on our life, and now we are in Christ Jesus. That's your new identity. We saw last week, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, that's your new identity. And this is why we, 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 we fall short of the things that God has for us. Not because we don't have access to it. Not because he's picking and choosing and saying, you get, you get healing, you get prosperity, but you, you don't. You're just going to be full of condemnation. No, he says this is all available to everyone, but only to those who recognize who they are. And the level of your life will never exceed the level of your identity. The level of your life will never... You want to walk in the blessings of God, you better start recognizing who you are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean, in Christ Jesus? Because we see this term over and over and over uh, 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 throughout the epistles. Paul used this term, and he used this term to, to uh, depict, if you will, the new life that we have when we become born again and make Jesus the Lord of our life. In Christ. That means if God sees Jesus that way, he sees you that way. That's what that means. In Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 3. We'll explain it a little deeper. Colossians chapter 3. We're talking about these labels because these labels can either liberate us or they can limit us. And Paul's identifying, you don't need to live by the label of condemnation anymore. You can live by the label that you are in Christ. If, it's, if he did it for Jesus, he'll do it for you. If Jesus could do it, you could do it. 
But I like the way Colossians put it, puts it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. So he's, he's identifying this is where Jesus is. So notice he's telling us that if you want to know who you are and you're in Christ, quit looking at the world to tell you who you are. Quit, quit asking the world, who am I? I've never seen an iPhone ask another iPhone, hey, what, what, who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? What, what's my operation on this earth? What, what am I doing? What am I really here for? But yet we see people asking other products, other people, hey, what am I supposed to do? And they run to people for identity and security that can only be found in him. And they get married for the wrong reasons. And they make friendships for the wrong reasons. And they get jobs for the wrong reasons. And they even go to church for the wrong reasons. For identity and for security. And, and Jesus is up in heaven saying, whoa, hey, I'm up here. Your identity's up here. Seek those things which are above, not on the earth. Quit, quit looking for your identity in the world. The world is incapable of giving you security. Let me help you out a little bit. Your degree is incapable of giving you security. Your spouse is incapable of giving you identity. It will not happen. Your job, that promotion, the money you made, all the things that we run to, they are incapable of securing our identity. So, Instead of being insecure, I need to be in Christ. I need to be in him. He says, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Set your mind. Number two, set your mind. That means I've got to get it here before I see it here. I've got to get it up here. You'll never live out what you don't think on. You can flip that around. You will only live out what you think on. You will never, your life will never exceed your thought life. I have never seen someone with a poor mentality of money be rich. Never seen it. I've never seen someone with a poor thought life uh, uh, according to their marriage flourish in their marriage. It does not happen on accident. Your life out here will not be contrary to your life in here. And if we don't guard it in our mind, we won't see it in our life. So he says, set your mind where? On things above, not on things on earth. What's that called? Perspective. My identity is a result of perspective. Have you ever, have you ever been around someone that believes in you more than you believe in yourself? It's because they have a different perspective. And sometimes, guys, you need to get around someone with a different perspective. You feel like you're failing as a parent, and you get around someone that said, man, you're doing a phenomenal job. I saw what you did the other day. But it's because you only see all the troubles, and they're, uh, they're helping you see all the stuff that you are getting right. Get around those people. You feel like a failure in your marriage, and then you ask your spouse, they say, man, you're... 
I know that you love me. I know you're doing a great job. I, I know you fail and miss it every now and then, but, but you are a, you're a wonderful husband. Don't, don't think that about yourself. We need people like that because it's a different perspective. But ultimately, he's saying your perspective comes from heaven. So notice when it comes to my identity, I can have one of two perspectives. I can have an earthly perspective or I can have a, world, or a, a, a heavenly perspective, godly perspective. In essence, you can say it this way. I need to see myself the way God sees me. Now, why? Why? Why do I have to look at heaven? Why do I have to look beyond the earth? Verse 3. For you died. Well, wait a minute. How, how is he writing this to dead people? For you died. And your life. Wait a minute. For you died and your life. For you died and your life. Death, life. If I died, how do I have life? But here's the thing. You've got to die to one perspective to take on the other. God will not fight your perspective of your identity. You have to choose to take it on. He's not going to force, no, you are the righteousness. Take that righteousness. Take that holiness. No, he's saying it's here. But you can choose to see yourself this way or you can choose to see yourself this way. You can choose to make fig leaves or you can accept the sacrifice that I've made for you that will cover all of it. Or you can keep trying to cover yourself with all your external ideas of identity or you can accept my identity, which is better than all that. And now your assignment won't be compromised anymore because over here you are working more to try to get yourself somewhere. And over here I've done all the work to get you somewhere so now you can get my earth somewhere. Now you can get my kingdom into the planet like I told you to, like I designed you to. He says, for you died to one perspective, and watch this, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. With Christ in God. You need to underline that, star that, square it, circle it, whatever. If you have a Bible, you can mark in. If you don't have a Bible, you can mark in, throw that one away, and get one you can mark in. You need to be able to write and mark stuff in your Bible. Frame it or something. It's no good if you can't write in it. It's no good if you can't highlight stuff. Because now every time you look at this verse, you're going to remind me, I am with God, with Christ in God, with Christ in God. With, I'm, not, I'm not in the earth with the devil. I'm not in the earth with condemnation. I'm not in this planet with shame and guilt. I am with Christ in God. That is my identity. When God sees me, he sees Jesus. Come on, you got to accept that reality. When he looks at you, he says, oh, hey, Jesus, there's my son. There's the perfect spotless lamb of God. He says your life is hidden. Hidden. I can't even see you anymore. Where, where did Chris go? All I see is Jesus. Where did Myrna go? All I see is, but God, I, said, no, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see any of that stuff. All I see is the perfect spotless lamb that was the, the uh, slain before the foundations of the world. And that's, that's all I see. You're right, your identity's in that. Quit trying to remind God of stuff he doesn't remember anymore. It says he's forgotten all that. Why? Because it's not your identity. It's not your identity anymore. Your life was hidden with Christ in God, he's given us a new label. And it pains me. I'll wrap it with this. It pains me to see believers so easily accept the labels of the world 
but have such a hard time accepting the, labor, the, the labels of that. Doctor tells them they have something. Oh, man. And they'll repeat it, man. They'll confess it. And they won't just say, well, the doctor says. They'll say, I have. I see parents confess this stuff over their kids all the time. And now, now, now it's a joke. Oh, my kid has this, you know. Oh, yeah, I've got one of those special needs. Well, we've all got special needs. We've got a special God that's taking care of special needs. He's made a special provision and a special miracle to take care of that stuff. You don't have to carry that label. You don't have to label that. But then when I tell them, then I tell them, well, the Bible says you're the healing of the Lord. Uh, I don't know about that, brother man. Now, why, why did you have such an easy time accepting the label of the world and such a hard time accepting the label that has been in this book and will never pass away? This is where we've got to shift. It's because you identify with what the world says and you have missed the identity. You need to die. You need to die. And we'll get into it in the coming weeks. The whole rest of that passage, if you want to go do some homework and get a little caught up before the next time we, we minister on this, you could read the whole chapter of, of Colossians chapter 3. And he talks about, so now that you have been changed here, you can do this. The, the next word after all this is therefore. That's an important word. Anytime you see the word therefore, it's therefore a reason. So in essence, he's saying, so since you died and your life is hidden with Christ, here's what your life looks like now. Put off all fornication. Put off all adultery. Put off all lying. Put all, off all deception and deceiving talk. Put, put away all these things. Why? Because you're dead. That's not your label anymore. That's not your limit anymore. That's not your identity anymore. Here's your new identity. And then it goes on. And then it starts talking about how wives can submit to husbands and husbands can, can serve wives. And then it talks about, it even goes a little deeper into the stuff that we don't want to talk about, like employer and employee relationships. Did you know that how you work at your job is based on your identity? And if you identify with the world, you're going to be a sorry employee. Period. Doesn't mean it won't look successful to the world. But you're not going to be fulfilling the assignment for which God placed you in this earth. We've got to die to a worldly identity. You've got to kill that person, he says. You can't even like, well, you know, I've got him put up in the closet. I mean, he only comes out every now and then. No, you've got to kill it. Destroy it. Utterly put it down. Uh, Paul said, crucify the flesh. And when he said the word crucify, guys, I mean, we, we have an idea. We, we see, you know, passion of the Christ or, or you, you know, some, some movie. But when he said crucify to these individuals, they knew what crucify was because they could have been crucified the very next day. That was a burning image for them when they said crucify the flesh. You're thinking, Ooh, that's, that's the worst way to die. That's one of the worst ways to go out. And that's what you want me to do to my flesh. That's what you want me to do to that nature that tries to keep identifying against what God has already created. The world can never tell you who you are. We need to secure our identity in God. Father, we thank you tonight. You, 
given us a true identity. And we don't have to work for this identity. We don't have to take another bite. We don't have to do another thing to become that. You said that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And now out of that, I can fulfill my, assi- my assignment for life. I can do what you've called me to do. I can be who you've called me to be. I can go where you've called me to go. There is no limit anymore. But the labels that you give us now liberate us. You call us to do things that we haven't even done yet. You call us to do things that blow our minds. But this is why we need your perspective. This is why we need to set our minds on things above. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. And I thank you that you identify for any label that they have taken on that's contrary to your word. Any label that they have bought into that does not fully equip them to fulfill their purpose and assignment in the earth. And we cast off those labels. We cast off the limits. We don't have to be short-tempered. We don't have to be angry. We don't have to be poor. We don't have to be uh, uh, not talented enough, not gifted enough, not qualified enough. Those are labels of the world, but you have a label that far exceeds anything we could ever see in our lives. And we take on that label. We take on your label. We identify with the identity from heaven. We are in Christ. We see ourselves that way. Father, I thank you for this encouragement. I thank you for this word. I pray that it will strengthen our hearts. It will bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.